With traffic, errands, and parking, cars can be a chore. But a great car can be an adventure, a getaway, and a prized possession. Whatever your budget or family require, there's a car out there you'll love. We're here to help you find it. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is the Everyday Driver Car Debate. As you can tell, we're not in the studio. You can tell probably right away because it always sounds different. Mm -hmm. We are in yet another hotel room, this time in Atlanta, because I know we've talked about it for what seems like a year. We're at the Atlanta meetup. Well, almost. We're in Atlanta for the meetup. <laughs> Pretty cool. We're pre-meetup now. Pre because cool. we are shooting television in the Atlanta area. We have two episodes of season six that we're shooting while we're here. This first one's been a fight. I, I'm not going to give you the whole story right now. Yeah, there, there's going to be an Atlanta debrief podcast got to once we me. get home, yes. and because we're we've just barely started. Whereas, we're just, yeah, we're right in the just getting into things here in Atlanta. But uh, but we're, little, we're happy to be here. Little tease for you. Honestly, go back and listen to the ridiculousness that happened around our feature film Mid Engines and Mountains. That was in the first 100 <laughs> podcasts we covered. That oh man, we are debating the fact that this me of that Atlanta shoot is either second only to that or possibly even surpassing that as the most madness that can happen trying to get cars actually available for a shoot. So, yeah, that's the tease for when that debrief happens. But we are here in Atlanta. We're excited about the meetup. We are excited to actually be shooting stuff, which is great. So that's going on. We have yeah, all yeah. questions, by the way, tonight. We, we As promised. It, happening. As promised, we've got an all-questions podcast. And before we jump into everything here, thank you guys for the amazing questions. A couple notes on uh, some business items here. We will be at SEMA 2019 in Las Vegas. It runs from the 5th through the 8th of November, but we will be there through the 5th through the 7th. Yeah. And we're going to be at the Griot's Garage booth on Wednesday. We have not determined the time yet. We'll keep you posted on that and uh, on social media, but we will definitely be at the Covercraft booth from 10 a.m. to noon on Thursday. So yep. that's yep. Uh, November 5th through the 7th, and then November 6th is the Griot's Garage booth, and then uh, on the 7th is Covercraft. So yeah, we're looking by, forward to being, being with our sponsors. Come by, say hello. We're excited to be with both of them. Our understanding is that Griot's is going to have some sort of presence in one of the halls, but also going to have some sort of outdoor booth, because I think they're bringing... At least a car this year, maybe I'm multiple. Pretty sure I know so, the car. Yeah, I think you've seen it. In fact, pretty excited. Uh, Richard, yeah, Richard has teased us all about it. So there's yeah. that. So yeah. we're pretty sure that we're going to be at the outdoor location. But again, we will get times for you on that Wednesday. If you're at SEMA with apparently the entire car world, oh, come yeah. by and say hi to us. Oh, yeah, SEMA sure. is, as we've joked, it's always overwhelming. But we're excited to be there for sure. Also, uh, we are coming up to the last like week, ten days of the ridiculous big sedan challenge. <laughs> Todd's getting worried. I'm that getting it's worried actually because we're happen. close enough now that so it might actually happen. Here's what needs to happen: is if you guys come through, <laughs> then he's going to freak out, and we're going to have to find these cars and oh. get on an airplane and launch the content that we have been planning on doing. We're still not there. We're not. You know, projecting into the future yet, yeah, but yeah. if it happens, that means we're going to be sourcing the cars, <laughs> and we will be taking submissions from you. If you, you know, if you find a Phaeton somewhere and you get guys, oh. here it is, and come out and fly out, check it out. You know, we might be leaning on you guys to say, "Hey, would you do a <clears throat> pre-purchase inspection <laughs> on a Quattroporte?" Right, maybe. maybe. And I'll tell you how that would go badly. Todd's That's how that would go. Frightened goes. that yes. it's actually happened. We've yeah. swapped because at, at first I thought, "Wow, well, no, it's never going to happen." And and, and then, now uh, you're all excited, and I'm terrified. I'm totally excited. Anyway, we have said if we get more than eight grand, we will do this. Uh, I'd, I'd really, honestly, just our financial world. I'd love to get that ten or so, so that we could be a little happier. Because I don't want to spend eight grand on a Quattro a Porte that doesn't even make it back home to Park City. I'm just saying <laughs> or, it. I'm throwing down. Or a Phaeton left on the side of the road. Yes. Please. With all, with all four shocks. So, did, you, did you stay at that? No, it just broke. That, <laughs> that's how that goes. Is an abandoned yeah. car. It's all bad. Yeah. Well, guys, happy Friday. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. As you're listening, we are in Atlanta and uh, doing a couple TV episodes here, as Todd mentioned before. And then uh, we're talking about 2020. Things are shaping up. We've got a trip to announce, as we've teased before, for mm -hmm, 2020. Mm -hmm. And yep. then we're, we want to do more meetups because... We're able to, you know, come away with episode content, but then also meet with you guys, and it's it's just a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah. you know, it's like you know, kind of this car world, car family that we've got, and it's just really cool. And I know a lot of you are excited to do that. So we will definitely continue to accept ideas and keep you posted on that. But as promised, we do have all of these questions. I've all posted car questions, questions. Here. There's so many. Can I start with the one <laughs> that's on my mind because we've actually saw you saw an X7 today and took a photo of it. I did. I've not posted it quite and, yet. But and yes, Brian had a, had a question where he said on Facebook, which is worse, Lexus Predator Maw 
or BMW Beaver Teeth. Mm. And I genuinely have to say it's the Beaver Teeth. Yeah, and, the, and the I, mall works on the LC500. The, the, the mall works on, on some of their lineup. But I also say this, because the Predator Maw, as weird as it is that somebody decided to put that as the front of a car, in spite of that, that is not a weird morphing of a logo that has been iconic. I can't imagine what a weird morphed version of that would be. Yeah, somebody takes the Predator Maw and makes that bigger. <laughs> what, what the entire what, car is grilled? Like anyway, it has wings. Uh, but <laughs> but the the Beaver Teeth thing is is a ruining of a classic design element that has been in just car lovers' hearts forever. Mm-hmm. And now it's this. We we walked we walked around this X7, and it was honestly like somebody stuck two lunch trays to the front. They were huge. I think you're being kind, but yes. And this has come from the chief designer who has mm-hmm. said, we've got to break out and try stuff. And it's because of what uh, I was talking about on a prior podcast about the new BMW 2 Series. It's the style guide that they've locked themselves into that has He's now trying forced to them. Out, yeah. You know, I got to be me. I got to be free. You know, breaking <laughs> out of my shell to finally do what? Because they haven't explored a lot of kind of fresh new designs. I mean, they, yeah. they went through that with Chris Bangle. They yes. did go through that with flame surfacing, introduced an entirely foreign new surfacing and design concept, which I think only now is still kind of being accepted, maybe, you know, begrudgingly. But I, I think it's sort of like, okay, that truly is a BMW, and they deserve their place in the BMW pantheon of cars. And Okay, but, you know, it quickly went back to kind of you know, like I said, style guide shapes that you can just, you can see that goes there, that goes there, all yeah, of the car, yeah. it doesn't matter what That's the portion the is. Yeah. But now that they've got to break free, what do you do? You haven't been exploring new form language. Can we start the stopwatch on that guy's career? Because I, I mean, his time at BMW can't be long. I'm sorry. He's if, been with if BMW they, for a while. If they do that to their entire lineup, though, yeah. I can't imagine that the general public embraces that. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm too, too stuck in the past, well, but I just can't imagine that design on all of their cars. Yeah, and there's it, good Photoshop yeah. going around because people are getting good with Photoshop and able to mm-hmm. paste, you know, on a bunch of things, the new M3, and we're seeing that kind of thing go around. And I still think it's Photoshop. Until it releases, I'm not going to comment. Until it <laughs> actually comes out and there's you're, a... You're you know, trying so hard to get on, the benefit of the doubt. Oh, I really am. I really am. I, I think it's... A good thing to be able to do that. Okay. But, you know, once we see, and I think they'd be vilified. I think it would be in the same category of uh, what you said, the, the Acura Beak. When yeah. it came out. Yes. And Acura hastily apologized and tried to fix it and said, all right, you know, well, that was short-lived. It was a year or two for a, a styling yeah. refresh. And they rushed something else out. And, and uh, I'm trying to think of other cars that have done the that. The Camaro. But, the Camaro yeah. had that redesign that everybody went, from the moment it was a concept, everybody went, what on earth is that thing? And it was less than <laughs> yeah. a year before yeah. the front fascia changed again so they could tone it down because everybody was like, that is ugly. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I, think, I think there's a real problem here, but we'll see what actually happens. All right. I'm jumping into some questions here. I uh, did go back through Facebook. And as promised, I went back and reviewed some questions that uh, we had not gotten a chance to answer. So we've got a lot of Track Daily Crushes, which are great. Mm -hmm. So Rami E., what is the best beach car in your humble opinion? You know, the Mm. car you drive up the West Coast Highway with your girl or your fam, you know, making stops along the way to catch waves or a kite. The one you drive across the Florida Keys, stopping at every tiki bar for the fish po' boys and mojitos. (laughs) Like it? Okay. There's There's a lot. See, I'm not a convertible guy. And I don't think you are either. So I, I think. But I still think I have my out. answer here. All right, go. It's the Wrangler, with no pieces on it. Really? Yeah. Really? Because then, because then you can do the thing where you go down the random beach road, or you you just mm-hmm. do that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, if you're really talking beach and beach usage, it gives you. It's, you're not driving the dune buggy. You're driving the thing that can do the dune buggy stuff, sure. but can still get on the road and have all the quote unquote modern. It's a Wrangler. I'm I'm still struggling with this because it's got to be slow for me. It's got to be slow. I don't and think of the Wrangler as fun. fast. <laughs> well, I I hear you. Not a good high speed car. That's what horrifies no. my wife. Going, let's get a Wrangler going so we can road trip it. That sounds I, awful. This is gonna sound really, I, Uh-oh. foregone conclusion. But uh, a Targa is a Targa out of the question. I was expecting you to say 356 after that setup. I know it's a. 
And I think you're only going. I think you're only going Targa because you don't want to say convertible and go back on yourself. Because I, frankly, I don't think you like the Targa much. I don't. I. I think I'm the not a huge is fan. A it it kind of depends. Exercise. It kind of depends. I'm. I, there's been Targas that I've seen that are amazing, and then I think, do I really want it? Not really. But you know, you've got to have some sunshine. Lighting. You know what? You know what? Targa's amazing. The Lotus Elise. <laughs> That's an amazing Targa. The 911 Targa. I'm sorry, it does nothing for me. <laughs> okay. All right, all right. Uh, I'm I'm sticking with Targa for now. Okay. Uh, I I reserve the right to change my answer. <laughs> Our answers constantly change. <laughs> We've got Sam Householder writing in on Instagram, and he says, "Other than the Phaeton, which apparently we are trying to get, I'm, I'm shaking, but Phaeton. I'm excited all at the same time. What's the worst car to buy from a sketchy used car lot? Oh, and honestly, on that list is the Maserati Quattroporte that we're it, also it trying be. to buy. It would, but be. I also have to say the Range Rover." You see the really cheap Any Range Rover on the side of the road yeah. on the guy's little, you know, little tiny lot. Do not buy that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Run Ooh. away. I mean, there are Range Rover specialists, and you think, okay, I could feel comfortable buying from you because they theoretically know what they're doing. And a small Range Rover you know, specialist lot is not what I'm talking thing, about. I'm talking about the lot other that has that? the Range Rover next to a two doors down rusted out Civic next to a two doors down <laughs> some sort of Buick from the '80s. Don't buy that car. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh yeah, I could see that. How about like the mid. 90s, the Discovery or something like that. Like, oh no! Don't, the, don't buy that car. Don't you buy that from anybody. You think, hey, a cheap four-wheel drive. No, no, that no. That will be the project after Quattroporte and Phaeton are over. It'll be the cheap four-wheel drives. Yeah, because I'm now You're dead, and my son is like, "What would my dad do?" And he buys the Range Rover. That's what how that happens. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. All right. Seth K is asking. You know, reviewing all the vehicles that we do. Do we ever find ourselves spoiled or immune mm, to something mm. you know you think is amazing? Or you should think is amazing, sure, but sure, sure. because of the experiences you have, it's just slightly dull. And his example okay, is that okay. he works for an Audi dealership, and he says he used to absolutely love the R8, and now when he gets in and drives one, it just isn't that special. That, that's it, it's um, under the category of where Todd and I started the show, mm-hmm. and we vowed to ourselves to never. Come to a car and be so unimpressed that yawn. It's just, you know, I'm so bored and it's a $150,000 car. (laughs) There are things on cars that we wish were better. And, you know, hey, this car company does it better. That feature, Mm -hmm, that kind of thing. I think ultimately it's speed has been the overarching thing. If a car doesn't feel like it just, you know, wants to run... It's because of the sensation speed. You and I have gotten used to higher and higher speeds. Yeah, Interestingly, just shooting and, and, of course, doing a lot of track driving. But um, I think it's that, um, you know, that sensation of speed. Does the car really want to get up and go? Yeah. And yeah. a lot of that is a control thing, you know, from a car standpoint. But, um, yeah, we never wanted to come because, you know, we've all read those magazine articles. Mm-hmm. By the snooty editors who write the, I've been in all these cars, and here's the new one, and yawn, and it's just a refresh, and I never want to come across, because I just love cars so much, and I never Mm -hmm. wanted to come across that way, because I hate it when other people do it, so it's, it's easy to, but I, I hear you on the R8, I mean, it's special, but on, on the other hand, we keep drooling over what a great winter car that would be, and then of course, well then you own an R8 in the summer, are there better, faster cars that feel a little bit sharper and more nimble? Yeah, yeah. Well, but on the other side of the spectrum, though, you and I have always tried. Yes, we don't want to be bored or kind of over it and get used to this crazy job that we have that gets us into everything. We want to mm-hmm, always be like, mm-hmm. I get. To, you know, we're we're driving pickups right now in Atlanta. Mm-hmm, sure. Okay. Yeah. I would never uh, just because I'm not this guy. I would never seek out a pickup. But yet to have three and to drop into that same exact discussion where we're actually talking about what do we like, what do we not like, how do they compare. It's that same skill that we use for everything. That actually makes it fascinating again. Because it's not just I'm driving a pickup. It's I'm driving three and really going, what do we like? The other thing we've dedicated ourselves to doing is making sure that no car is perfect. Because every car has pros and cons. Car manufacturers have made made sure. They've seen to that. But but you see what I'm saying. I mean, it's... I don't want to ever be in a car and they have it has no redeeming qualities. In the same way, I don't want to ever be in a car and be like everything's awesome because stuff doesn't all, <laughs> nothing's perfect. 
this is the best. You know, and we've ever. we've learned because we've we've listened to people and, and read people's comments that you know have a certain car, and you say mm-hmm. ten good things about a car, and you say too bad, and you're hating on the car. Suddenly, it's like wait a minute, there were ten good things there, and that's that's simple because we all hear critiques harder than we hear positives. But you and mm-hmm. I are always trying to bring the good and the bad to all the discussions, and hopefully never get bored. But the question's great because it is easy to after a while be like. Another one of these. That that's a, an easy default setting because, the, and I think mm-hmm. the, the twist there also is it becoming work, and you and I have fought very hard for this job to not be work. Absolutely, we yeah. work hard, yeah. but we also try very hard for it to just still be like we're having fun today. I mean, Seth, you could say just how about leather? Not everybody can throw down for leather interiors in their that's cars. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, that's special. It mm-hmm. is the, the smell, the feel, the the context that it's in. That's just. That denotes, you know, a luxurious, you know, you, you're able to afford more or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Just the fact that you've got a leather interior and people slide in and go, ah, nice car. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's yeah. like, yeah, you're right. I forgot that I can afford leather in my car, you know? <laughs> yeah. Sweet. I, I like your speed statement, though, because I, there have been times I've talked to people and they're like, what's the fastest you've ever been? And they're <laughs> expecting me to say 110. Mm-hmm. Because anything yeah. over a hundred is is at a realm they can't even fathom. So when you're getting yeah. into when's the last time most recently that I went 130, uh, it, <laughs> yeah. it starts to warp minds. And it's not because and, it, and that's also because you and I are we're at a weird spot where we're not in that place anymore. Where I think either one of us, unless we're on the autobahn, we don't get in a car and go, how fast can we get this up to? We don't do that. <laughs> but yet because we I have can't gained push the pedal any harder. Seriously, but because we have gained an acceptance, if you will, with speed. We'll look down all the time and be like, huh, that's a really very fast number because we were just pursuing make the car feel fast and that our, our tolerance has gotten higher. Yes, but we're able to take that tolerance and kind of readjust it in terms of how does the car feel at that speed? Is yes, it yes. the ZR1? Does it feel like I'm about to die? Or do I, you know what, <laughs> I feel in control and I'm surprised yeah. that this car is able to take that kind of speed and stride and I feel like I could go faster, you know, crazy enough. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, start to relate that to how the car's built and all those kinds of things. Yeah. You know, Hellcats, fast. Yes. Fast. Yes. The Jeep Hellcat is fast. <laughs> I feel like I'm going to die. Like, it is, where it is, is yeah. the brake pedal? <laughs> it's just a riot and the noise and the speed and I can't believe the horizon is coming at me that quickly. In a Jeep Grand Cherokee. The, the king of unnecessary cars that simultaneously then, is a constant <laughs> laugh riot. You know, yes. oh my gosh. And then, you know, you're just uh, you're just asking for it, I feel like. And then in other cars can go far quicker and faster. And you think, huh, that, that just felt easy. Mm, what did you say point. about the dynamics point. of yeah. the car yeah, and yeah, the yeah, market yeah. and what it can do? That's crazy. So it's not just, you know, throwing a giant engine. But on the other hand, sometimes it is. I'm, you know, for that reason, I'm so curious about the C8 Corvette. And you guys mm-hmm. have asked about the Dino Times. It's it's tough to comment on the Dino Times when, you know, the car isn't really in the hands of everybody who wants to review it, and you know, well, and we're not talking, everybody's gotten a chance to drive it. You yeah, know? it's it's tough to just be like, yeah, that is the number. That is gospel you know well and we're also talking pre-production cars at this point which is a great wild card in general mm-hmm. pick your manufacturer that's a great wild card yeah who knows where that's going to go down mm-hmm. we got a lot more mileage out of that question than i thought we'd get uh chris asked a question christopher asked a question on facebook where he's he said he's asked this a couple times so i definitely wanted to get to it. he said he's asking me okay now that i've had my lease for a while it's just been over two years you realize mm-hmm. got it in july of, of 2017 mm-hmm. had it just over two years now just parked it recently all nice and clean probably won't get driven for a while okay. which is too bad but he said, now that I've had my lease for a while, what do I search for or dream about when looking up cars online? He, Chris is realizing that I have bought a car that I have dreamed about for the better part of 15 years, and I own it. I've owned it for two years now, and I still love it. Hmm. He's like, so, uh, not he's suggesting that we get rid of it, but at the same time, what, what's next? Is there a next? Christopher, I, I've, I've debated this question actually with Paul and with others. The interesting thing about the Elise, we talk a lot about new experiences, the interesting thing about the Elise is the fact that I, I, I describe it as a cul-de-sac of a car. <laughs> Once you get to the Elise, there's not really it's anywhere true. obvious to go off it's of that. True. There's not the lighter, more hardcore progression from there unless you buy a full track car. But I'm talking about street cars. Yeah. So yeah. I bought a car that there's really nowhere else to go. I have to go to 
completely different neighborhood because there's not an offshoot. Oh, well, you're in this progression of these cars, so now you go to... There isn't one after the Elise because nobody else has made anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Am I going to buy a BAC Mono? I mean, that, that, that's about... Yeah, or I keep coming back to Caterham's. Yeah, which is ridiculous. Seven, you know, the real, so, real deal or whatever. So what I would like to do, Christopher, honestly, I would love... Look, will this happen? I don't know. I would love to keep the Elise in the fleet mm. and just start buying other things around it. Now, I have neither the money nor the storage <laughs> to make that an easy reality. But that's what I would prefer. So what will probably happen, well, one of two things will happen. If you heard the last podcast, hopefully I'll end up with Elise and Wrangler and fun sports sedan. But what oh, I would love man. to do in the perfect world is oh, keep man. the Elise and have the car that I am using year-round become the new experience car that keeps getting changed out for other things. And so I can drive, kind of like I did with the FRS, more things people can't believe I'm driving all winter. That's what I would like to do. <laughs> Uh, Love it. In a closer... I think you take a, a more more pleasure and glee than most people would in driving the thing that you is so unexpected in winter. But that, I know what tires do. Yeah. That's oh, yeah. what I enjoy Absolutely. so much. Rear-wheel drive Absolutely. in the winter with good tires. It's like, let's have some fun. Let's get this driving done. I it, love that. It changes everything it's about fantastic. the driving experience. It's amazing. I mean, they're not, you know, of course... The end all. I mean, there's still physics involved, of course, but of course, the yeah. things you can do on winter tires yeah. is astounding. I mean, honestly, Christopher, what I would like to have next, if I left the Elise sports car and got something else, I'd love to have an Evora 400 because I like something with more of the refinement of the Cayman, but I really mm-hmm. like the Lotus feel. So I'd love to get mm-hmm. an Evora 400, but those are still more than twice what my Elise cost. So that's not happening anytime soon. Uh, there's a lot of cars out there, man. I, I will keep changing new experiences. The tough part for me is what happens to that Elise. That'll yeah. be hard. Yeah, I hear you. All right, David E. is asking about new sports cars under $30,000, Civic Si, GTI, Miata, and Mini Cooper S. Mm-hmm. Why buy any of those cars when the Veloster N is available? <laughs> so what you're saying, Del- David, is you just bought a Veloster N? Is <laughs> well, this what you're saying? <laughs> well, that could be. <laughs> it, it, or you're <laughs> about to. I can give you a reason for each of those cars, actually, but, but go on, Paul. Well, well, it has to do with... The other needs, because mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. we're driving them in comparison to, you know, from a price or power standpoint, we're driving them in comparison to their, you know, their competitors, their yeah, brethren. Yeah, yeah. Watch the middles that we just did. The middles is season, a great yeah. example. Then, you know, we're driving them for very specific, all right, these cars are targeted at the market to do these fun things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, let's go drive them for those fun things. And, and you know, we want to see who achieved that. At what level? But then when you actually have to buy one, you're not always driving for those particular things that the manufacturer made it good for. Mm-hmm. Veloster N is not always going to be hot-chewing it around the ring where it was developed. Fair, fair. You've got to commute. You've got to, you know, there's other factors that come into play here. You've got a, you know, a family or, you know, wife, kids or a husband or whatever. And you've got somebody else to consider. Their needs too. So... All right, the Veloster N might be a little hardcore because my spouse might not really want to ride with me in that car. So I need a hot hatch that's a little bit softer and a nicer place to be. Hello, Golf R GTI. Yeah, for sure. You know what I mean? For sure. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's it's those other reasons that you know people will acknowledge Veloster N amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't want it for this, this, and this reasons because I've got these things in my life. Mm-hmm. That's why, and so we try to identify those, but still. You know, we bicker and argue about which one comes out on top and all of those kinds of things. Of course, that's the For fun. the thing we're looking for, but the thing that strikes us the most, because it could be, it does all these things, and it's fast, and you can take it to the track, and yeah, you know, or whatever. You know what I mean? For whatever yeah, yeah. we're driving it for. Obviously, pickup trucks is going to be a very different criteria. And that's it's what all we're, track driving. That's it's what all we're, track driving it's in the pickups, yeah. You know, that's what we're you know looking for out of pickup trucks, because the premise of this episode is... So many people buying pickup trucks and never towing, hauling, off-roading. Just so using them as the daily. They yeah, are the daily, sure, and that's, sure. where, that's yep. where our headspace is at with these. So it's all the other considerations that you've got in your life. You know, i got to park outside, and I, I need it not quite so nice or shiny or attractive you mm, know, to, mm. you know, for whatever. So it's all these other reasons that come into play that you know, different cars fit into different categories for people. So 
I can run. We're constantly parsing. Totally. I can run through this list real quick for you, David. You buy a Civic Si because you don't actually want to spend thirty grand, and you want something <laughs> inconspicuous with great gas mileage. That's why you get that one. You get the GTI because you want a premium interior experience. You get the Mini Cooper S because you want a little quirky personality in your hot hatch. You get the Miata because you want rear-wheel drive. Hmm. The Veloster N is phenomenal, but there's the, the headlines of why the rest of those amazing. happen. Amazing. It's phenomenal. It's a great car. Yeah. All right. Dan just asked a question where he said he just brought home his new daughter from the hospital. Any car seat or car ride tips? If you really are confused by the car seat, you probably aren't. If you really are confused by the car seat, believe it or not, your local firehouse will put it in for you for free. You can like pull in and they will do it. Those EMTs, and that, they will actually do that. So that's something random. Uh, but most of the time at this point, they're so easy. You just plug the thing into the seatbelt and off you go. Oh, yeah. Uh, keep in mind that uh, some kids are helped by getting to sleep by you driving them around, but that is not all kids. Mm -hmm. So if it doesn't work for your child, they're not wrong. So keep that in mind. That might not be something that works for you. So don't, don't stress if that's not the case. Uh, also, keep in mind your car is no less safe than it was before you were a parent. <laughs> you didn't stress about a lot of things before you had a parent, before you That's had a kid. A now you have a child in the car. That's the car is point. every bit as safe. So keep that in mind. Try, try. You're gonna fail. You're gonna fail. Try to not be completely distracted by everything the child did. You are still driving. <laughs> yes. And when, not if, when massive spills happen, that's just parenthood, my friend. Get the car detailed and move on. <laughs> I love it. I love it. All right. Uh, what else here? We've got some track daily crushes to get through here. Okay, yeah, go for it. All right, Sean H. Stance cars, Cole Rowling, oh, or Donks and Lowriders. Oh, come on. Donks and Lowriders are in the same category? They're sort come of the opposite. Uh, hmm. and, okay. Mm, okay. I'm, I'm crushing Cole Rowling right there. Um, All right. I've got to. But that leaves me with... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, but this is a poison pill. <laughs> it is. You've got to track one oh, of those. Oh, man. I'm tracking the stance car and very unhappy, and I'm doing a donk for my daily. <laughs> I can't believe I, I said that. I'll, I'll lowrider the daily. That sounds like a riot. Oh, like flipping man. switches. You know, lowriding oh, yeah. the daily. That's, oh, that's sure. the car to be daily. That, that's good. Uh, I have the other two. I, you know what? Just so that the shoe could be on the other foot for once, mm. I'll crush the stance car and I will act, actually track the coal roller there so you that go. for once I can be the guy that's putting pressure on all the sports cars and they hate me. There you go. Instead of being on the receiving for end. For the sake of If polarity. I've got to do one of, the, one of the above, I'll just coal roll the track. How about that? All right. Well, there's uh, another question here from Petrolhead80 who has multiple questions. <laughs> another track daily crush, the Hypercar Holy Trinity. Oh. But he okay. does not say what the hypercar Holy Trinity is, so I'm going to redefine it as the Pagani Huayra, oh, okay. Koenigsegg Yesco, and the McLaren Senna. <laughs> you went against the... Okay, all right, all right. But now I don't know what to do. Uh, I know what to do. I know <laughs> what to do. I'm going to track the Senna. Yeah. I'm going to daily the Yesco because, yeah, those doors, the, the doors and the styling, yeah, and... Unfortunately, the Huayra is the old one of the bunch, and so I'm crushing the Huayra. That's the place we're different, because I would track the center as well, because of course you would. I would, I would crush the Yesco and actually daily the Huayra. I love the look of that car. And I think that, I know car is, I think that car is the supercar to daily. I don't think it's the supercar to track at all. I think it's just the supercar to daily and be like, look at this thing I'm in. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But anyway... Wow. You got another one there? You got wow. another track daily crush? Well, he's also saying, if you could drive one car from your birth year, what would it be and why? <laughs> Multiple questions. Oh, come on. There's nothing good from that time period. <laughs> I was going to say. Hey, I'll say the, the Porsches were still Porsches in the 70s. Everybody sure. wants the 70s okay. Porsches. So All right. Yeah. I'm, okay. I'm going from, that's from a, uh, that's 70s a safe, Porsches. That's a safe call. I'll give See, you that. That's that worthwhile. Porsche right. always saves me. Always. That's ridiculous. I can always ridiculous. throw that in there. And then also, what are we doing another feature film? He owns a Mark 7 Golf GTI. Oh, I would gosh. like this car to be featured. You know, uh, we have toyed with a bunch of ideas right now, but in 2019, we took the pilgrimage trip to Germany. Yes. If we do another film, it will not be at the same time of year as we do the pilgrimage trips. They've, they can't be. Or the TV season in post-production. We'll, we'll keel over, yeah. We can't. <laughs> Tried to kill myself last year. Let's not do that again. The criteria for feature films are going to get a little bit more stringent from here on out, I would say. 
not necessarily more niche, but it's got to be more stringent. For example, you know, Mustangs can't just be all the Mustangs. It's got to be what are the mm. special Mustangs throughout the mm, years, mm. and what were the notable standouts? Because you know, we've got to get to the heart of the matter quickly because there's so many Mustang special editions and models. Sure, sure, sure. So you know, it's, we're, we're it's thinking, getting harder to have one that we can really get behind and get excited about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there, there's a few ideas. There's mm-hmm. one in particular that I want to remain unannounced at this point because it's I've heard it. It's, I know it's yep. interesting, and I, I'm reluctant to share it at this point because. I don't even know if we could pull it off. I, I don't. Well, that's, but you're, you're speaking to a key element. I think the feature films from here are going to be that thing that we go, I don't know if we can pull this off. I think because that's been the interesting through line of the ones we've done. We've always they've thought, always yeah, had we that get kind of cars. idea where it's yeah. like, could we really? And that's the common thread of every film we've done. And I think those are the things we're going to have to find. And I don't mean this to be tacky, but things like a Mustang or a GTI don't fall in the category of, could we really do that? Because and I, I, please don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to discount it, but yes, I know we could. Mm-hmm. Whereas finding those film ideas where it's like, I don't know if that's possible. That's mm-hmm. the stuff that's exciting because it's a lot of work. We're all looking for great driving roads, and we've even tried to share and list some of them along the way. But now there's an app that can help anyone worldwide mark, share, and find the best roads everywhere. Driveline is the world's first social driving app. It allows you to easily record and classify your favorite road, and you can mark great pit stops, record and attach video, and you can create pins with photos to share. It's the first sharing and social driving app. You can follow people that drive interesting roads, see what they're driving. You can search an area you've never driven before. And if you find a route you like, you just hit drive it and get guided to the beginning of your new favorite road. You can even earn points and patches for your activities on the app, which build towards actual car giveaways. As the community grows, Driveline will be giving away cars to members, and your posting and drives earn you points to win. We've never seen anything like this, and we love the combination of community and great drives. You can get in early right now and shape the app and the community. So download Driveline to your phone today. Start sharing your favorite roads, meeting other drivers, and finding a new route for your next adventure. You might not be buying a car right now, but you're probably still looking. We're all looking all the time, and it seems like there's always a new place to search. That's why we love Autotempest.com. With Autotempest, you can only enter your search one time and see results from Cars.com, eBay, all of Craigslist, and many more. Or you can jump to Autotrader or CarGurus without entering anything new. Your same search on a new site. So if you're looking for fun or you need a car right now, don't search all over. Start at Autotempest.com. All the cars. One search. We all have a lot of to-do lists, and some of them get quite long. You know, drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea, though. Let's add save hundreds of dollars on car insurance to that list. And the good thing is, you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to Geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could save, you've heard it before, 15% or more on your car insurance. Extra money in your pocket? This just may be the most rewarding to-do thing on your list today. Summer's here, and with that comes sunshine and blistering hot car interiors. I know that leather seat seemed like a great idea at the time until you scalded your legs. All you need is a custom sunscreen from Covercraft. These foldable sunscreens fit perfectly in the windshield of your car, and they keep your car a lot cooler while you're off enjoying the sunshine or whatever you're doing. I have used these for years, and I'm telling you, I swear by them. These custom sunscreens from Covercraft are available in a whole range of colors, and they're a simple, affordable way for you to keep your car cooler all summer long and protected from damaging UV rays all year long. We swear by our custom sunscreens from Covercraft. It's one of our favorite car accessories. And remember, you can get 10% off your car sunscreen by using the code EVERYDAY right now at Covercraft.com, or you can follow the link from our sponsors page. A couple of questions, actually, that relate to the FRS I used to have, and also just cars at large. Uh, T Downey twenty eight on Instagram said, "When to switch from summer to winter tires?" He uh, he just got an eighty six and he got a set of winter wheels, and he's wondering when to make the switch. Also, uh, Zipped on Instagram just purchased a twenty fifteen FRS, and he is in love with it. Mm. When I had mine, uh, he knows I changed some stuff. Would I have ever done coilovers? What does he recommend he does first? Okay, these are kind of together, so I'm going to jump jump on them both. Honestly, for your FRS, I would say, look, there's so much stuff you can do to that car. Go slowly. Get Good. really Good. settled in each step. The first two things I would recommend, first thing, right now, buy the best tires you can for that car. 
the best tires you are comfortable spending money on. I would just, at this point, just go PS4s and be happy. Sure. Get those and drive it for a while hard with those tires. Next thing I would do is the open flash tablet and just do the tune that kills the torque dip and drive that for a while. Tires and that open flash tablet, I honestly think you could be done there. I'm reluctant to recommend you do coilovers and suspension stuff because where that car shines is chassis setup and the place you're going to wish for more is going to be power. Mm -hmm, so once you start mm -hmm. fiddling with that stuff, you spend a lot of money. I think you really need to just go slowly on trying the car after each step and really trying to ring it out because I think you're going to love that, love that. Which leads me back to tires for the switchover for winter. You're going to have to judge it based on your part of the country, but genuinely you want the temperatures of the day to be hanging out below 50 degrees. The days that you've gotten into for the year are now not going to be above 50. I mean, they'll be the oddball, of course. But like in Park City this past week, we just had our first major snow of three or four inches. But guess what? It's gone. Oh, yeah. It melts so off quickly. It's not in, like, in hey, October, let's run off and put on our winter tires. I'm two or three weeks away. Generally, in Park City, I put them on a week or so before Thanksgiving because that's when the temperatures have done what I've just said. And they've gotten to, we're never seeing above 50, and there's snow coming regularly. It's time for those tires. You need to judge your area based on the temps you're getting. Mm -hmm. I hear you. There's a good question over here on Instagram from a few questions ago, a few postings ago, from Jared Rose 1. We often speak of new experiences oh, when yeah. it comes to driving cars, but that got him thinking, isn't there value in lifetime cars as well? Mm -hmm. Cars that you can make memories with, and you, that mm -hmm. can be an heirloom for your future children and grandchildren. He says, perhaps your kid gets to drive the car to prom and then later to their wedding. <laughs> wow. All right. I At see where we point, are. At what point do the good memories of a vehicle outweigh the benefit of a new experience? It's tough. Mm -hmm. the, the tipping point is money. It, it always is, isn't yeah. it? Just, yeah. You know, you just don't have the money to maintain it anymore and it's just being neglected and... You know, we can't take care of this anymore. We just can't afford to keep it around. If you can, wonderful. And I agree with you. Keeping it that long is very special. And I think older cars that have had the history from the 50s, the 60s, that kind of thing. Heck, my grandfather had a 1936 Cadillac. Mm. When he got married and he was 27, and he was either, I think, just, you know, a, a new naval officer at that point... And he had a 36 Cadillac, hmm. and I showed him a picture of one one time. He said, yeah, that's it. thing was huge. Hmm. I, part of me wants that car. Part of me thinks, you know, I'd just rather have the memory. Hmm. And Interesting. I, I don't know. Interesting. To, to think, wow, you know, a car, what if I had that car that my grandfather had? Like, wow, hmm. it'd just be so special. I'd drive it a handful of times, and it'd take a lot of money to keep it running, to keep it you know, stored and all that stuff. So I think that's the biggest thing for a, a family is do you have the wherewithal to keep that car going? Yeah. And because you're talking about driving it, you know, driving it to your prom and later to their wedding. What about yeah. they drove, you drove them home from the hospital in it and then they drove it to their wedding and, you know, the car's yeah. in the family for that long. What if that happens? Super cool idea. And I'm with you. The The car, if you can do it, it's cool, but then, you know, you've got storage, you've got cost, insurance, all those kinds of things over the yeah. years. Not just to put a practical thing on it, uh, but that does, that does weigh in on things. It does. I, 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 love the, I love the idea of this. And the idea of this, let's be honest, is something that marketing departments have already latched onto. And we've seen it with Subarus and uh, Honda Accords and that kind of stuff where they do the through the years <laughs> yeah. and the car is their thing. Yeah. But honestly, I, I hate to say it. It just grabs is, your heartstrings. It's ultimately just a thing and as you maintain it and prop it up because of nostalgia it's really not any different than this was the couch my great-grandparents had and i have to always wonder in those moments wouldn't you like to buy a modern couch yeah wouldn't you like to sit on a modern couch would your grandparents be like you must keep this couch because they were probably like get a new couch so i mean seriously I, i've always buy thought a that couch about so there is, there's a nostalgia thing about this, but I wonder at what point does that car own you because you're wanting to keep it around for nostalgia. And then the heartbreaking part of this that we have seen on this podcast and talked through is what if the generation you leave behind, leave that behind for, doesn't like the car or doesn't want the car? Yeah, that's heartbreaking. Then now you've created yeah. an issue in the family. So, so this, I'm not, I'm not saying no, but I'm saying walk through this very carefully because it, there's lots of landmines here. Well, that ties in a question from Jay Doherty, 787, who needs validation to buy another GTO. Oh, gosh. His last one blew the motor due to his own neglect. See, that's mm. kind of what I'm talking about. 
Not that that's a mistake on your part. It's just life happens. Stuff happens. Yeah, yeah. He says, I almost feel like a disloyalty to it, like I killed it and I didn't give it a full life. I kind of modified <laughs> it. And he said, if I had to do it over, it would, it would just be minor bolt-ins and suspension, partially to maintain reliability and be more cost-friendly because he's also matured in his enthusiast attitude. Is he justified or does he need to let it go? Hmm. <sighs> You've got to, the best thing you can do is project. And it's something my dad always taught me. He would say, all right, you know, you're giving this speech to, a, a, you know, students or you're giving this thing to a, a business conference. Project yourself there. Mm. You're, you're in the middle of it and then you're done with it. How are you going to feel? Or you bought the thing. Are you going to be really happy at that point? Mm, and mm. kind of thinking backwards through through it like like you do when you say all right we've got to be here at such and such a time let's work backwards all right that means i've got to have this done by six that done by five o'clock not by four it's already two o'clock which means holy i I gotta get on it you know Mm, that kind mm. of thing work backwards and project yourself into what am i gonna feel like imagine myself with that car right now am Mm. i gonna is that gonna really do it or is it just kind of this itch and i haven't you know to your point yeah i didn't really give it a full life and i didn't give it the the true, you know, full life. But do I really need to do that just to check the box? Or can I let it go? Can I leave it a memory? Only you can answer that question. But I think projecting will help in any situation like this. And that goes for the family heirloom kinds of cars too. Mm -hmm. We've got a a bit of a rakes and landmines question here from uh, Ginger Bear on Instagram said, okay, okay. Why do people insist they need an automatic transmission for commuting? Ah, I saw this. This he is says, great. Look, clutch is pedals great. are not what they used to be, where they were really, really hard to press and they were painful and all that. Typically, the engines now are easy to accept a clutch. The clutch is really light. What What are we all complaining about? Essentially, what having a manual transmission car? He's saying he's commuted in one forever. It still makes everything more fun. Why on earth are people insisting on an automatic? And you and I, typically, if we talk about stop-and-go traffic, we say to somebody, yes, go ahead and get an automatic. Uh, Ginger Bear, look, first off, I applaud you for driving a manual through traffic. I've done it. I actually kind of like it. You have to really like manual. You have to also really be comfortable with dealing with the clutch that much. I mean, there's, there's repetitive use injuries that can come from something like this. I mean, let's be honest. You've had times when you've done stop and go, Paul. I remember in your first Cayman, you did stop and go a few times in that Cayman and came home hating the car. Yeah. You loved the car, but yeah. that experience is stop and go. Please keep rough. in mind that when I think about it in this scenario, I actually do think the 405 in Los Angeles, where you're doing that transmission creep thing mm-hmm. of, I've moved mm-hmm. from a stop four feet forward. I've moved from a stop four feet forward again. <laughs> That gets really annoying. And what really grinds your chestnuts, it's at 3 in the morning when you're doing this. Yes, it just happens all it's hours It's not just rush night. hour at 5.30. Yeah, right. It's right. 3 so in the morning, if, and you're if, going, what are all you people doing out here? I know why I'm here. What are you doing out here? Yes. So you have to, we have to actually have a larger discussion here about what is the commute we're talking about. And if it's, yeah, I sit at some stoplights. Yeah, I creep a little bit. I, I think most people would be fine in a manual. But it's a tolerance thing. And some of us are more willing, look, I drive a Lotus Elise for God's sake. Some of us are more tolerant of being uncomfortable than others. And I think that if you sit in a lot of creeping stop and go, the average person is going to like their car more if it's an automatic. And ultimately what we want you to do is like your car. And if you have something really hardcore and then you commute in the really hardcore thing, you kind of hate it now. And so now if you mm-hmm. extrapolate that what you're doing is you're commuting in that car more than you're driving it for fun... It's a, it's a short tolerance level before you really want a different car. Mm-hmm. So sometimes we're hedging the bets to get somebody in a car that's really good that they still can commute in every day. I love the idea of commuting in a manual because when it can be fun, it will be fun. And manuals engage you more. I see where you're coming from. Yeah, for sure. Forrest Jenkins has noticed a lot of people driving with no lights on in the dark and rainy <laughs> conditions. <laughs> And thinks people are either relying on automatic headlights or have inadvertently turned off the automatic headlights. Mm-hmm. Have we noticed this trend? Yeah, I continue to. I'm noticing it everywhere. I think it's the fault of electroluminescent displays because Interesting. Okay. it replicates. You know, when you used to turn your lights on, your instrument panel dims the lights. It yeah. doesn't do that quite as noticeably in some cars. Mm. The switch from 
daylight driving electroluminescent to nighttime electroluminescent glow is still kind of the same brightness level. The dash feels like it's kind of so the same. So you think, yeah. all right, I'm in my car, the, the dash is lit up, and I've got the lights on, right? No, your lights are not on. And the proliferation of the signature lighting inside the headlights, the LED, oh, sure, the daytime all the running signature light lighting, yeah. that kind of throws a bit of a glow yeah. in some places. If you're you know, in a parking garage or something like that, you're, you're getting the reflected light, and you think, oh, my lights are on. No, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. So it can be very deceiving, and I think you're right. People are leaning on this far too much. I think people are leaning on backup cameras. I, I'm still forcing myself to look over my shoulder and get up out of the seat to back up, and then mm. I know it's, it's tough. It's so easy to just, oh, I'm just going to study my super high-resolution backup cam, <laughs> and we're fine, right? Yeah. yeah. Not always the case. And so I, I encourage continued good driving habits despite the proliferation of every nanny and safety aid, and it's only going to get better. Those screens are only getting better, and then we're going to be like, I'm going to read the guy's license plate across the parking lot with my backup cam. Benjamin (laughs) Benjamin said on Twitter that uh, he noticed on some of our earlier podcasts, we kept talking about repairs to the fleet. Uh, lug nut breaking on my FRS, remember that fun episode? Oh my gosh. Uh, I had fuel line issues, you had Jeep screen and steering stuff. We don't talk about our new vehicles as much. Why have we stopped? Well, there's been less to talk about, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, honestly, honestly. Reason. I mean, yeah. the, by and large, the stuff we have now, I mean, the Mini ran in spite of itself. It just ran. Mm-hmm. Now, the Lancer, I talked about some of the madness with the Lancer when I first got it, and I kept, like, referred to as archaeology, kept figuring out what had happened to the car prior. Because Such a great word. I, it's just it's so I, descriptive. I still feel like I'm still figuring stuff out, but I had to do a good round of maintenance on that car. Uh, we talked about the uh, the... Transmission. I'm sorry. The drive shaft knuckle on the Cayenne when it broke. Yeah, but yeah. by and large, the stuff we have right now hasn't required a lot of care and feeding. Thank God. So it's been good to be able to talk about that. I mean, I've done brakes and uh, rotors, brakes uh, pads and rotors on the Elise, and done a couple of oil changes. I had one ignition coil fault once. It turned out to be a loose wire. So it's, yeah. there's just yeah. not that's going on with that car. The Lancer's been, quote-unquote, the problem child, and comparatively, it's been kind of normal maintenance. So uh, I, I hope that we don't have this, but if we end up with these sedans, there may be lots of these stories. Billy Left asked me a question. Paul, what do you think of the concept that it's better to design something that people hate? Beaver teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Done. Checked. Rather than something people ignore when applied to the automotive industry. In okay. this context doesn't consider sales figures to be an indication that a car is being paid attention to. Interesting, okay. Minivans sell in droves, but he largely ignores them in terms of great automotive design. Sure. Well, well, you're right, and ultimately, the great designers want to design something to meet the brief and to meet the market for which they're designing. It sounds Mm -hmm, obvious. mm -hmm. I'll give you a good example. Ken Okayama is a brilliant designer. He's a Japanese guy who designed the Ferrari Enzo. Mm. Now, his Japanese sensibilities, upbringing, and probably outlook on his design career probably made him want to design something that would look more towards Lexus design language. I'm, I'm guessing. I'm sort of sure. Theorizing. You're broad brush. I get it. Yep. Very broad brush. But, you know, he needs to design something very passionate mm. for mm. Italians. So when we look at the car, we think, Italian design, how scrumptious. Italians mm. know mm. what they're doing. It was actually Ken... He knows what he's doing so well that he could put his own sensibilities aside and do something very different with, you know, more slab-like forms and, you know, more Mm. flowing Mm. surfaces, that kind of thing. The Japanese have done brilliant job with the same kind of thing, but he's, you know, what is it about a designer that can make that look Mm. despite his own, his or her own heritage and upbringing? That's why there's, you know, great Lebanese designers doing stuff for BMW, uh, Kareem Habib, and sure. they did. You know, sure. he did that for twenty years. And you know, why do we have, you know, folks going to China and designing, you know, cars for the Chinese market, and vice versa? Chinese yeah. designers yeah, doing yeah. stuff for, you know, Italian, European, American markets, that kind of thing. So it's your ability to be able to do that. So ultimately, to answer your question, I think you have to design something for which you know you think the design brief, and you know, we know the market, and you still have to step away and call it beautiful. There's still too many cars that. The design team didn't step away and say... Nobody said, do we like this? You know, huh. <laughs> After all this work and time, it didn't turn out good. Yeah. We can't go forward with this. And it's hard 
to stop and start over. You're on deadline. Mm-hmm. You've spent budget. You've you're in the hole for this and that. You know financially, you've got to push forward. And so some cars just come to market and they just push through it and you know just set their sights on the next refresh. So I think ultimately I, I prefer something you know beautiful, well designed rather than just giving it to the masses, but there's many cars that I feel like have phoned it in. because, mm. And you can look at it by virtue of part lines. Look at where part lines on a car. The lowliest Mazda has gorgeously well thought out part lines where mm. urethane meets sheet metal. The seams meet. Look yeah. at all yeah, these yeah, yeah. seams and the shut lines. Very well curated. And you look at some, I'll just say some other American cars... <laughs> and you think, well, why why there? It could have been here, here, or here. Mm-hmm, why why mm-hmm. did you stick it there? Did, were you drawing with chalk? Were, did you have a spasm when you were trying to draw the line? What happened? Started off fine, and then I... You know, because tweet. that is an ugly line. It doesn't relate. It, yeah. it counteracts this. It's, you know, hmm. it's distracting, all these kinds of things. And you think, well, you just had to get it done. You had to manufacture it. That's how big the sheet metal stamping is going to be, and... All right, we'll call it good. That's kind of what it looks like. There's probably a whole lot more to the story, but sure, you know what I mean. Sure, sure, yeah. So I, I sometimes <laughs> you can really tell when it, a car is being paid attention to because it doesn't shout at you. The Mazda doesn't say, look at me, look how great my shot lines are. Mm-hmm. You have to go digging for them. very Those elegant. Some of the best designs. Their designs are so elegant. But, you know, minivans are always going to be minivans, and they're going to sell regardless of what we do. Sad but true. Sad but true. Lance J. Roberts on Facebook said he just had his first ride in a real supercar. It was a, a 2018 Audi R8 rear wheel steer. Nice. Okay. Nice. Uh, and that was the rear wheel drive one. So anyway, uh, so he, he had that. He said it was everything he hoped so. He hoped it would be. Amazing acceleration, triple digit speeds. He just, he was boggled by it. Mm. And then as he thought about it after the fact, he was like, wait a minute. First off, why would you ever own something like this? Because you can't really realize its potential outside of a track. We have debated this up one side and down the other. Because I actually agree with you. I think anything over about 400 horsepower is kind of useless as a daily. But I've driven plenty of things with 700 horsepower that were crazy fun. And I'm Mm -hmm, glad they exist. mm -hmm. I can't believe the average person can walk in having just climbed out of a Corolla and go, I'd like to buy that. That that doesn't feel like that makes any sense. But they do exist and they are crazy fun. And and the hard part, I'm going to answer this first part of your question here. I feel like the hard part is when cars become hyper-capable... Often, not always, they stop being interesting at low speeds. True. And some True. cars, and the most recent one I can think of, was the, the 911 GT2 RS, which could gobble up crazy fast speed. But you know what? That car was genuinely fun and special at 60. Yeah, yeah. Which is, that's, that's rare. That's the thing I love about my Elise. So, I, I'm sorry I keep bringing it up, but I'm just trying to compare and contrast here. So, that is the thing about these hypercars, or even supercars. I want them to be fun no matter what speed I'm going, and some of them, frankly, just aren't, and that's hard. But then he says, the thing you noticed the most about this experience was how fast the transmission was. Mm-hmm. He said, why is it that transmissions on lowlier cars don't, aren't able to shift this fast? <laughs> and what lower-grade cars, DCTs, can we think of that have really, really fast sh- shift capability, fast and kind of invisible shift, speeding, uh, shift capabilities, that are more in the realm of the average buyer? This is the tough question for me, and I have a weird answer. Okay. I mm-hmm. actually think some of the current ZF automatics, actual automatics, not mm-hmm. dual clutches, mm-hmm. that have been set up to shift very quickly are getting the closest in the average car. I think a lot of the cheaper DCTs have a tendency to feel a little clunkier than the really yeah. supercar DCTs. And something like the new Supra, for example, that automatic shifts up and down so quick and so smoothly, it feels like a well-tuned dual clutch, and it isn't. Hmm. Interesting. Question from Joshua Jackson. What are the best choices for inexpensive used ways to experience mid-engine handling characteristics? Mm. The example here is MR2s are getting long in the tooth. Yes, they are. <laughs> okay. They're cheap, though. First-generation Boxsters are, you know, <laughs> IMS. <laughs> he said, see the IMS problem? Yes. Maybe. Fieros are Fieros, yes. That's true. They are. 914s aren't so cheap anymore. What are good options? Well, they're coming down in price and will continue to be because 
even though we like the car, I don't think the market has looked at them as valuable hypercars or valuable, you know, wow, these are special cars. Mm-hmm. They're just cool. And that is the Alfa Romeo 4C. Mm, that's a great they're one. Just, they're cool. They're yeah. not, yeah, yeah. ooh, this is a half of a Ferrari. Yeah. You know, the prices are going to stay high. I think those will continue to come down in price and be an excellent example at eight-tenths of what great mid-engine characteristics are like. Mm, mm. You want to go further than that? You want to take it to the track? I say Cayman. You want something cheaper and you can't get into it? Yeah, Boxster MR2. But yeah. I think the Alpha is right in that canyoning sweet spot of the prices. I think they're in the 30s and 40s now. It's That's a not really exactly good, cheap, I admit. It's but, a really good 7 and 8 tenths car. I agree with you that. You know, for, yeah. for that characteristic to really feel it because also of the carbon chassis. Because it's mm-hmm. really translating mm-hmm. the road through the chassis. It's not trying to insulate you with soft suspension or any of that kind of stuff. You know, it's it's trying to be kind of a car that pounds on you. Yeah. So crazy enough, I think it's the Alpha 4C that is going to really give you that feel. And you think, this is different from anything I've driven. It's both, you're you're going to have that feeling immediately. And it both feels and looks exotic, which is very cool. Yes. I mean, obviously yes. the Elise you can get into for thirty grand, But if you're talking about... I'm guessing here, old uh, MR2 prices or Boxster prices. You're talking about ten to fifteen grand. Honestly, it's really hard to beat the Boxster because it is so forgiving. Yeah, and yeah. it's still mid-engine. Mid-engine, unfortunately, has a, uh, a bit of a snap to it if you <laughs> get it wrong. Traditionally, Porsche's done a great job of taking away the bad parts of mid-engine and leaving you with the good parts. So that's where the Boxster is worthwhile. And the IMS, especially if you buy a car that has miles on it, really isn't that scary a prospect. Honestly, it's yeah. not nearly as bad yeah. as the internet would make it out to be. I agree. Uh, I don't believe everything you read on the internet. That's crazy. I really? have a last question here, which is uh, Hassan on Instagram says, would we rather have, and I think I'm uh, actually living this, would I rather have one car that does it all or multiple cars? He's saying real world, world rules still apply here. Budgets, these kind of things. Hassan, my preference is definitely to have the right tool for the job. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Because the problem, and we do this sometimes on, on the car debate, when we talk about you know trying to find a car for a person. And I realize, look, many of us, we only drive one car. I totally get that. The problem is it's the one-size-fits-all shirt mm-hmm. where it's trying to do so much, it doesn't do any of it at a very high level. So if it needs okay. to be a really soft, nice commuter with great gas mileage, it's hard for it to be a tucked-in, agile, sharp car in a back road. Those are counterintuitive. Sure, So sure. it's, I think, now look, I'm not saying there's no cars that do these things, but I think it's generally better to go, okay, this is my sports car, and this is my commute car, or my road trip car, whatever, and they're different tools for different jobs. We can't all do that, but that's certainly my preference. It's a weird thought for me, for, uh, for Devin Bain's question here. As okay. electric cars become more common, what does your vision for an electric driver's car look like? Hmm. Short of, okay. you know, sketching one out, which... You know, there's what a lot of beautiful sorts of mid-engine kinds of Cayman Lotus-y shapes. Yeah, beautiful. But weirdly, the more I have considered this idea, it's about retrofitting. That mm. E-Type I know you that like was that. retrofitted with the I-Pace electric drivetrain just yeah. sliced through me. It yeah. just thought, yes! Mm-hmm. And the thought of a you know an electric 928 or an electric 911 or mm-hmm. you know a retrofitted mm-hmm. one from the 70s. I know or, what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you yeah. Know, take a a cool car because it keeps that shape alive. We get to see it again. Cars we otherwise wouldn't see because their parts are too expensive, too expensive to keep running. Yeah, they're rusting yeah. away in a wherever garage, or they're part of a collection. We'll never get to see them again. Resurrecting these beautiful shapes that have been explored and are already proven to be good driving cars—that's mm, mm. kind of striking a tone with me. Interestingly, I can see it. okay, I, I, you know, it could be. Well, BMW is bringing you know a whole bunch of quick, you know, amazing new driving electric cars at us. Yeah. Okay, cool. I can't wait to drive them. But what about all these other cars that are retrofitted in a way that, like I said, that E-Type just—and then I, I, of course, started thinking about all the other cool. 80s, 60s, whatever cars that could be retrofitted and how that changes the personality. And I was so intrigued by how it changed the personality of this beautiful gliding E-type saucer mm, mm. down the road. It was pretty silent to begin with. It wasn't a raspy, loud, you know, crazy engine. Sure. It had a good a good note when you got yeah, into it. It's it got a great, but, yeah. great sound, but suddenly it changes the whole perception of that car. It's this, this shape. So no longer do you associate noise with that shape. Interesting. They're disconnected now, and that, okay. that took it to a different level for me. Huh. All right. 
All right, I see that. Wow. <laughs> that was a lot. And there's still questions we there's didn't get to, more. guys. Yeah. Thank yeah, yeah. you for all your questions, as usual. We'll uh, continue to try to get to more of these, so please keep asking. And please send your car debates to everydaydrivertv at gmail.com, or you can send it to the website. It is the contact button under the About tab, top mm-hmm. right corner of the website. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to hearing from you. And you guys are, are sending us more and more emails. Which is awesome. I will put in another plug for the the uh, the big sedan challenge. The Quattro Porte versus Phaeton. Because close now. we're so close, it's almost like we got to make it happen. Uh, right? I, I'm a little and terrified. we can do it with your help, only with your help. <laughs> and there's going to be a lot of content planned. We're open to suggestions, but there's going to be drives. I mean... We, you know, maybe we find one at opposite ends of the country, and we meet in the middle. Oh and man, I'm terrified. Okay, yeah. Our breaks right. buys the I don't know yeah. <laughs> something. Oh no, something has to happen, right? Pickle fork disaster and the fate and fail. <laughs> it Got is. it. Yes, it is, guys. Thanks a million for all your questions, and uh, looking forward to next time. Cheers, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>